The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com For the deepest, darkest clues, to the backwoods swamp near the bottom, for the inside of your casket, to the fears lying deep inside your subconscious, it's time for the Big Scary Show. Hello, creeps. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and you're listening to the Big Scary Show, the top podcast in the industry. <laughs> Hi, I'm Erica from Hellscream and Haunted Mines in Colorado Springs, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hi, this is Travis Loosemore from the Crawford School of Terror in Connellsville, PA, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. My name is Danny Trejo, and most of you know me from a lot of movies. And uh, you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Keep listening, or I'll come looking for you. You're listening to The Big Scary Show with... Three big scary men and one that wears more makeup than I do. Greetings, Haunters. You've tuned in to the Big Scary Show. And hey, we're going to keep our social distance because we got the face for radio and stick with all protocols and do a drive through edition of the Big Scary Show tonight. Oh, isn't that going to be fun? So let's get on the road and start it off. Yep, there's Milk out the window. There's Badger right there. He's got deadline news for you. He's going to have all the happenings that are going on as this haunt season heats up with the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, haunting. Looking forward to that. Jim, we'll see what burial rituals he's got for us this week. Oh, I need a few there. Oh, that guy's not going to make it. Hey, let's not forget Jerry. Jerry's got some awesome music for us this episode. Really get you in that haunting Halloween mood. It's October. And, uh, you know, I got the haunt minute. I'm going to be ranting about candy. Can it kill you? Yes, yes, it can. But <laughs> how? Uh, I'll reveal all my secrets in there and, you know, go for a rant. The normal. Whoa! Oh, missed that guy. The normalness with Haunt Minute. Uh, so you can look forward to that. Hey, Vleister's back. He's got the horror of it all. A great segment. Really looking forward to listening to that. Uh, we got some gruesome giveaway. 
That's always fun. Ooh, not fun for that person. <laughs> yes, stick it on the road, drive through edition. Hey, what would the big scary be without a round table of terror? And you know, it's October, it's the peak haunting season. We love to talk to actors, and we uh, lined up five really awesome actors. We're going to talk to them about their haunts across the country. So as we talk to Travis, Bree, Erica, Dina, and Savannah, we're going to learn a little bit about their haunts, a little bit about what they do, how they're facing the challenges this season, and, you know, how they interact with, you know, the other members of their cast, what they're doing, even managers and owners. It's a great conversation, a lot of fun, so really look forward to the Roundtable of Terror this episode. And hey, we got all kinds of other treats, fun, all the good stuff you're looking for this Halloween, this October, this haunting season with The Big Scary Show, episode 221, and it starts right now.
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time for Deadline News here on The Big Scary Show with your host, me, Drew Badger, bringing you all the latest in the haunted house, Halloween, and horror industries. Hello everyone, it's Drew Badger. This is Deadline News for episode 221, the first Deadline News of October. So let's get started with some music news from our friends from Midnight Syndicate. Own a piece of Midnight Syndicate history while you decorate your home or haunt in style. For the first time ever, original Haunted Attraction registry posters and retail posters are now available for sale at the Midnight Syndicate store. These posters are not reprints. As such, supplies are limited and prices will fluctuate based on the quantities available. We hope you enjoy them and appreciate your support. You can pick yours up today at MidnightSyndicate.com. We have this news from the Fields of Terror Haunted House in Mountain Home, Arkansas. Fields of Terror Haunted House is open every Friday and Saturday night and starting at dark during the month of October for only $15 a person admission. We have monster repellent for kids if you need it. These special flashlights scare the monsters away from the group so the kids can enjoy the haunted house too. Don't forget, Thursday, October 29th is our annual Lights Out Night. Come through the haunted halls in complete darkness with only one flashlight per group. Keep in mind the monster repellent for kids does not work on this night. Follow us for updates at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash fieldsofterror or fieldsofterror.com. We have this from the Anoka County Historical Society in Anoka, Minnesota. The haunting continues with a twist. The Anoka County Historical Society has unleashed our popular Ghosts of Anoka walking tours once more with three different ways to tour. Since COVID-19 has changed the landscape of our society, we took the time to digitize our tour with exciting new homeowner content and a variety of tour docents. Celebrate the 100th anniversary of Halloween in Anoka by purchasing a link, then soaking it all in however and whenever you choose. Make sure to follow it up with a s'more and some tales of your own. Maybe you like the interactive nature of Zoom? Perfect. We have docents standing by to entertain you live every Saturday evening during October. You'll hear the same great stories, but have the ability to interact with fellow Halloween fans. Speaking of live, we do have a limited number of in-person tours scheduled, but uh, that only works if you're planning to be in Minnesota. Tickets available on Eventbrite or through their website, anokacountyhistory.org. We have this news from the haunted Larianne Woods Haunted Attraction in Gainesville, Virginia. Starting on October 13th, we'll have the Lights On display every night. On Fridays and Saturdays through October will be the full display. This includes fog, sound, animatronic props, and maybe even a monster or two creeping through the graveyard. We'll be collecting donations on weekends to benefit the Haymarket Regional Food Pantry. Get more info at hauntva.com. 
We have this news on a new Trivial Pursuit game, Horror Edition, via BloodyDisgusting.com. The OP released the 600-question horror movie edition of Trivial Pursuit back in 2018, and Evil gets an upgrade with Trivial Pursuit Horror Ultimate Edition now available. The, the official press release details. Only the most hardened horror fanatics will dare to play this terrifying edition of the classic trivia game. Players will move around the board to answer questions about their favorite genre to collect wedges and complete the full circle of six to win. 1,800 spine-tingling questions let you take on six reference-heavy categories sure to elevate your heart rate. Gore and disturbing, psychological, killer, monster, comedy, and paranormal. Based on the roll of a color-coded die, players can land on any random creeping category using their choice of a horror-inspired custom sculpted mover, including a creepy doll head, straitjacket, and table saw. Eek out with multiple choice prompts, or rack your brain to recall disturbing details you'd rather not remember from all kinds of media, film, TV shows, books, and beyond. Be the first person to get the correct answer in every category to win, or wait for the next seance to earn a seat at the table again. What's included in the kit? One custom game board, six custom movers, monster hand, doll head, straight jacket, goat head, cleaver in brain, and table saw. 300 cards with 1,800 questions. Categories include gore and disturbing, psychological killer, monster, paranormal, and comedy. 36 wedges and complete rules. The Trivial Pursuit Horror Ultimate Edition will be for two to six players, ages 17 and up, and you can pick up the game for suggested retail of $49.99 through the OP's official website, which is theop.games. Hmm. There is that big holiday after Halloween, you know. We have this news from the city of Loveland, Colorado. Who said that Halloween 2020 has to be canceled? If you're looking for ways to celebrate throughout the month of October, look no further. Visit Loveland, Colorado. Downtown Loveland and several other organizations are coming together to make sure Halloween 2020 tops the charts. Here are a few things to look forward to. The Scarecrow Scavenger Hunt all around Loveland. The Downtown Pumpkin Festival at the Foundry. NOCO's Greatest Drive-Through Trick or Treat Experience at the Ranch Events Complex. Want to see more? Get the full list and dates and times up on the Sweetheart City Living blog at sweetheartcityliving.com. We have this news from the Haunted Hills Hospital in Lake Station, Indiana. We have such awesome fans. We've reached 16,000 fans on Facebook and couldn't be more excited. We look forward to putting the fear into your Halloween season for 2020. Don't forget, tickets are limited this season, so buy now. Save $5 when you purchase tickets online for Indiana's number one haunted house. Get more info at their Facebook page, facebook.com slash hauntedhillshospital. And finally, we have this from the Canadian Haunters Association via Chris Ainsworth. It is with a heavy heart that I have to announce that there will be no 2020 CHA Home Haunters Awards due to COVID-19. After consulting with all the Canadian chapter presidents, we all agree it's the best decision. Here's why. 
With Halloween just around the corner, a second wave of COVID-19 cases continues to plague many Canadian provinces, and the numbers continue to rise. Infectious disease experts say the most significant risk associated with trick-or-treating is spending prolonged time in close contact with any friends or neighbors who don't live in your home. Because of this, many home haunters have already made the safe safe decision not to set up their haunts, especially walkthroughs. Even if we did do the awards, there would be very low submissions entered. I know many of you are disappointed, but please be respectful and keep any negative comments to yourself. We're wishing everyone a safe and happy Halloween, and the Canadian CHA Home Haunters Awards will be back in 2021. Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> Want to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let Dark Imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. Mm. To see more of our products and services, drop by darkimaginings.com. Let us help you get ahead of your competition. <laughs> Do you dare to spend a night of terror in the Wax Museum? You can't tell the living from the dead. Are they flesh and blood, or are they wax? Are they alive, or are they dead? Jack the Ripper, Ivan the Terrible, Attila the Hun, Lizzie Borden, Lucretia Borgia, Bluebeard, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Terror in the Wax Museum. Greetings, listeners, and welcome. Watch out. Don't trip over that torso. It's time for Between the Corpses. Greetings, listeners. Meet Hook Jim here. It is well into October now. Some haunts are going strong. Others are just kind of recouping for next year. But it's all in a positive motion. But you know what? (laughs) I'm going to talk about a subject that Storm talks about on occasion. And maybe this will pique his curiosity a little bit. I'm going to talk about the Amish and their funeral customs. So, like other Christian groups, the Amish believe in heaven and hell. However, unlike other branches of Christianity, the Amish believe that once a person has died, they are no longer there. They are immediately with God in the afterlife. Because of this, there is no praying for the deceased after they've passed. The Amish believe praying after death is a pointless practice since their judgment has already happened once they moved on. Instead, the focus is on the goodness of God. While death is a solemn occasion, it is also seen as a necessary part of life. The Amish aren't preoccupied with what happens after death. In Amish tradition, it's uncommon to express grief publicly. Funerals are large affairs, 
often attracting hundreds of community members. While the family grieves privately at home, it's uncommon to see outward expressions of sorrow in public even at a memorial service. Again, this is, relates to the Amish belief that death is a certainty of life. Funerals are a marker for the end of one's Christian life. Since all individuals are at the mercy of God, there is no speculation about one's final resting place. For the Amish, death is very matter-of-fact, and, and this is clear in their traditions. The Amish funeral revolves around the importance of community. Unlike other Western funeral traditions, there is less focus on the life of the deceased. Instead, these memorials are impersonal affairs that reflect on God and the community. All of the traditions connected to Amish funeral services rely on the importance of simplicity. The funeral service itself often takes place in a church. However, some Amish communities do not have churches, so the service would take place in either a barn of a family member's home. In addition to the funeral service, there is also a less formal viewing of the body that takes place in the home of the deceased person or relative's home. Aside from the funeral, a small graveside service takes place. There are usually three locations since the Amish believe in three viewings of the body. The first would be at the house of the deceased, the second in a church if available, and the final viewing at the gravesite. All of these locations are within the Amish community. The Amish do not leave their close-knit communities for funeral services. Once an Amish person has passed away, they are usually buried exactly three days after his or her death. Once the person has been washed and dressed in clothes made by the family, the body is ready for viewing. The first viewing is in the house of the deceased. Friends and family will stop by to pay respects to the family. The second service takes place at a church, if the community has one. This is the largest service and the majority of the community will attend. Finally, there is the last viewing of the body at the gravesite. When the body is buried in the ground, the service is over. Close family will return to the deceased's homes for a meal. Amish pay tribute to God and the community during their funeral services. The hymns and songs are usually taken from Osbund. The Osbund is a hymnal with centuries-old songs originally from Germany. The Osbund is actually the oldest songbook in the world that's still in use today. Though this isn't considered a holy book like the Bible, this is the collection of funeral songs that the Amish use during a service. Popular hymns in the Amish tradition include Jesus my Shepherd, as Jesus Christ the Son of God, Walking with God, Take my hand and lead me Father. It's not uncommon for these hymns to only be in German. Singing is an important part of the Amish tradition, and it's a way to deepen one's connection with God. Because of this, singing is cherished part of funeral traditions. Many unique customs go along with Amish funerals, with the majority focused on the concept of simplicity before God. After death, family members dress the deceased in plain clothes. The men are typically dressed in white pants and shirts, while women usually wear a long white dress. It's important that the clothing is plain and unadorned. The coffin is also simple. 
It's handmade by the Amish community, usually out of pine. There are no handles or coating on the coffin, and there is no padding inside. The body is only embalmed if required by the state for burial. The grave itself is dug by hand. Even the room in which people view the body is plain. Family members remove all furniture except for the coffin. Only when it's empty of all decoration is it ready for viewing. Amish people are usually buried in all Amish, Amish cemeteries, but they might also share the cemetery with Mennonites. These traditions are all a way to bring people closer as a community and to keep the focus on God, not material things. There is proper etiquette to know about Amish funerals. When it comes to what to wear to a funeral, it's traditional to wear all black. The immediate family of the deceased will actually wear black for an entire year. This is a visual representation of their grief since in Amish communities. It's not appropriate to show outward emotion. As a funeral guest, it is important to dress conservatively. During an Amish funeral service, it's important to not praise the deceased or talk about his or her accomplishments. The appropriate way to offer condolences is to be respectful and to give any praise to God. There are no eulogies given at an Amish funeral, and any comments about the person's soul being in a better place are not used. In the Amish tradition, this is God's will be done. It is not considered respectful to bring flowers or any type of gift to the funeral. Since these are simple affairs, any type of decoration distracts from the grace of God. After the burial, mourners are usually welcomed back to the home of the deceased for a simple Amish meal. Guests are welcome to bring food, but no other gifts are acceptable. From there, it is common for the family and friends to visit the family every Sunday for up to a year after the passing of a loved one. The Amish have very closed communities and they are generally keep their distance from outsiders. However, in recent years, the Amish in some parts of the country have begun to step out into the, into the community. Many Amish people now own local businesses and interact with English or non-Amish folks throughout their day-to-day -day lives. Because of this, outsiders can attend Amish funerals if they personally know the deceased. Because hundreds of people from the community attend these funerals, it is usually easy to attend as long as the memorial is at a church or a barn. If you are attending an Amish funeral as an outsider, pay close attention to the local customs, dress, and etiquette. The Amish burial customs are very straightforward. As mentioned before, Unless the state requires embalming, the body appears as did at the time of death. No makeup is applied to the face of men or women's bodies, and the coffin itself is plain. During the graveside funeral, there is, only, there is one final prayer before closing the coffin. After the funeral service, men fill the grave with spades. The only information etched on the tombstone is the name, birth date, and death date. In some Amish communities, there are no names on the posts at all. The entire burial ceremony takes approximately two hours, and it's delivered in Pennsylvania Dutch and Amish language. This is a time to focus on respecting the deceased, and outward emotional outbursts are not shown during the burial ceremony.
Unlike Christian funerals, Amish funerals are simple affairs. During the three-day process, friends and family of the deceased quietly reflect on the deceased while paying their respects to God. While these practices might seem impersonal on the outside, they are an intrinsic reflection of Amish values. You might discover unique traditions depending on the Amish community in particular, but the framework above rings true for the majority of belief systems. Having a clear-cut way to honor the deceased while celebrating God, bring peace to families, is their time of mourning. Amish funerals shun modern practices and focus on old world traditions. The community of all comes together to offer prayers and sermons. With seven hundreds, several hundreds of community guests attending each funeral, this practice shows how important death and the return of the soul to God is within the Amish tradition. Well, there you go, Storm. I don't know how much you knew, but I hope you learned some more. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Ohio Haunted House owners, actors, and enthusiasts, join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook. And ladies and gentlemen, let's see if you're listening closely to the show because it is time for the October Gruesome Giveaway sponsored by our very good friends at ScreamlineStudios.com. It is not too late to go and get your Halloween supplies at ScreamlineStudios.com. Or you could win a fantastic prize right here, right now. Now, we've got a bunch of new listeners that have joined us over the past few weeks, especially with the new streaming service and, of course, because it's the Halloween season. So for you new listeners, here's how this works. I'm going to ask a question. The answer is in the show. I might throw a clue or two in there. All you need to do is send us your name and number and the answer via email to contest at bigscaryshow.com before midnight on October 19th, and we will draw a random entrant. It's just that simple. And you know we're going to give away a great prize for the month of October. So without further ado, our question for the October gruesome giveaway is... During the Round Table of Terror... Storm talks about the greatest line he's ever heard uttered by a customer. What is that greatest line ever uttered by a customer? And here's a hint. It might concern fishing line and a rubber chicken. If you think you know that answer, please email us. Contest at Big Scary Show with your name, number, and that answer... And you could win a fantastic prize courtesy of Screamline Studios. Be sure to get it in before midnight on October 19th. Relatives of The Big Scary Show and previous winners are not eligible to win. Good luck, folks, and thank you to ScreamlineStudios.com.
And ladies and gentlemen, that music again does signify it is the Round Table of Terror once again. And again, this is our first round table during the month of October, our favorite month of the year. And of course, haunt season is in full swing right now. So many haunts have been open for a couple of weeks. A lot of them are opening this weekend. Still more will be opening next weekend. A lot of haunts are on abbreviated schedules and... You know, it's it's just one of those weird years, you know. Nobody predicted last year there'd be a global pandemic or anything like that. And so a lot of people may be on the fence as to whether or not to go visit their favorite haunts or make those road trips to go visit a bunch of things. You know, a lot of haunt owners out there promise, you know, we're requiring masks and we're sanitizing and we got hand sanitation stations everywhere and we're keeping everybody six feet apart. Well, you know, some of the, uh, stories we've heard over the first couple of weeks, you know, that's happened. And some of them may be exaggerating the truth a little bit, but what better way to find out just how some of the haunts out there are operating than to talk to the people who are actually working in the haunts. We've got some actors and I believe some makeup artists from some haunts from all over the country. And we're going to find out what kind of measures they are taking in order to ensure your safety and theirs. So we've got several guests here, so we'll get right to it. First of all, we're going to start down in Morristown, Tennessee. We have Bree Rosar with us. She's, an, I believe, an actress or makeup something at Frightmare Manor. Bree, are you with us? Yes, I am. I am an eight-year returning veteran actor at Frightmare. Paul, welcome to the show, and congratulations on eight years there. Look forward to hearing some of your stories this year. We also have, in East Windsor, New Jersey, we have Dina Ziemba, I hope I didn't mispronounce that, and Savannah Dakila, who work at the Field of Terror in East Windsor. Ladies, are you with us? Yeah, we are here. Um, oh, we are boy artists at Field of Terror. We've been here for about five and four years, mm-hmm. um, and we're very excited to give you the behind-the-scare uh, perspective on things. Oh, very good. Like to hear that. And uh, down or up in Connellsville, Pennsylvania, we have Travis Loosemore, who is with the Crawford School of Terror. Travis, how about you? Are you with us? I am here. This is my ninth year in the industry. I do makeup. I act. I go and help build. I do some training. Pretty much everything that goes into a hunt, I do it. Excellent. And last but certainly not least, way out west in Colorado Springs, Colorado, we have Erica Leonis with Hellscream and the Haunted Mines. Kind of pulling double duty there. Erica, are you with us? Yeah, I am. Hi. I, uh, I have been in the industry for about 10 years now. Uh, I've been an actor. I've helped with makeup. I've done costuming. Um, in the last two years, I've been the media relations liaison for both Hellscream and Haunted Minds in Colorado Springs. Oh, excellent. So I'm, I'm sure you've been telling lots of people all the changes that uh, your haunt's been going through. Yes, so, um, like constantly all season. So. <laughs> and we'll get into that in just a second. As soon as we introduce our other hosts for the show up in Warwick, Rhode Island, we have Storm. Greetings, where, you know... The, the, the land of Rhode Island where Halloween is essential, but you also have to give calamari for trick-or-treaters. No doubt. I was thinking lobster. Down in Cincinnati, we have the aforementioned Meat Hook Jim. 
And for the first time in 13 years, I'm doing a yard display, and I'm overjoyed this <laughs> year because I'm not acting. I'm just going to take Halloween nice and slow, but the the scenes are looking good. I'm, I'll post video when I'm completely done with it. Fantastic. You, you've been busy the last however many years. Up in Columbus, Ohio, we have our resident musician create, furiously creating new music as we speak, no doubt. We have the instrumentalist Jerry Vane. That is me, I is he, and that is what I'm doing. Yeah, as I said before, I like the stuff you've sent us so far. My name is Drew Badger down in Charlotte, North Carolina, also taking it easy this year. Um, no haunt. I'm not working at anything this year, and I'm kind of weighing my options as to uh, how many haunts to visit this year. I know my oldest daughter is dying to come back from school and go visit some haunts, and eh, I need a little reassurance. So, ladies and gentlemen, on our guest panel, um, we'll start with Dina and Savannah. What are some of the changes that a uh, field of terror has been doing in order to ensure that the, uh, customers are safe and the actors are safe? What's going on with you guys? How long have you been open this season and, and how have things been? Hi. Uh, so we've been open since September 25th. So a few weeks now, and we do every weekend, um, some things that the makeup artists are doing. Um, we have temp checks as soon as everyone comes in, so no one's getting in the trailer with a high temperature. And we have them sanitize their hands on the way in. We sanitize all the makeup stations in between actors. Um, whenever they're signing out a prosthetic, that's theirs to keep now. Like, we're not taking it off at the end of the day. That's yours for the season. Um, every actor must wear a mask. And then either we put prosthetics on top of the mask, or we actually have the interesting, you know, you're good and tried and true uh, haunt makeup of cotton balls and latex as a way of blending those really hard edges into something that really blends into the skin that's really grotesque. So that's really interesting. We, uh, we also made sure that every single makeup artist uh, got Barbicide certified before um, they stepped into the trailer for the season. Uh, Barbicide offered a free certification course, uh, which kind of gets into all the COVID things, sanitation procedures, um, and things like that. So we're all aware of um, how to keep everything clean and serene um, up in the trailer. Has uh, any? <laughs> so, so we're doing this over the internet. Um, some of the things that the haunt's doing for customers, though, um, are pretty much similar in, in that of we have time ticketing. So there's no like hordes of people kind of crowding together to get in. And it's kind of linear in how you go through attractions um, just to prevent kind of overlap of people. So we adhere to New Jersey has like a strict rule on like the percentage of people allowed in uh, capacity. So we adhere to that and we really started limiting our numbers as well as limiting our actors here. Very nice. Uh, Erica, how about you? How are, how are things out in Colorado where I'm, I'm assuming things are a little bit different than they are on the East Coast? It's definitely interesting out here in Colorado. So we are, again, we are... Gosh, we've changed a lot of stuff since just since March um, in both buildings. So, like, we have sanitation, you know, uh, stations throughout the haunt. Like you mentioned earlier, um, every actor has to wear a mask. Uh, we've reduced our actors' staff by a lot this year, um, only doing about 25 actors per haunt. Um, and we have some pretty big haunts, too. We have a 28,000-square-foot haunt, which is the Haunted Mines. 
Um, so they're pulling a lot of duty um, with everything they do. So they are, you know, they're scaring the, the customers from six feet back. They all have to wear masks and they all have to blend it into their costume. Um, you know, and on top of that, they're also watching the customers and keeping track of if they touch anything in their designated rooms. So th that becomes a high contact point and those have to be wiped down and cleaned throughout the night. Um, and so they're cleaning, they're acting, they're, you know, doing crowd control, they're watching, you know, the, the crowds, they're doing so many jobs in, in one little thing uh, and they're killing it this year. We've been open for two weeks and they're just doing an amazing job. Um, another thing that we are sure to do is we do have health checkpoints before you come in for a ticketing booth. Um, you know, if that's for the, the, the public, we make sure that everyone's wearing masks, um, that no one touches anything. We have hand sanitation everywhere in the haunt. Um, and we have a health checkpoint right before ticketing and after ticketing before you head into the haunt. So there's two different points um, where people get stopped and checked and, and redone with all the information that they're supposed to be getting. Um, and then this year, we actually don't have makeup artists. So we are encouraging our actors to learn how to do makeup themselves. Um, and that's to limit the amount of contact people have with each other um, as well. So well, that's kind of interesting, not having a makeup artist. So it is it's uh it's definitely a creative challenge for our actors and they're really into it um they're all very excited they all have some very interesting masks that they've come up with that are all up to standard and i'm i'm honestly i'm very impressed with every single one of our actors this year nice uh brie how about you what's going on in tennessee well a lot of it is very similar to what they have already mentioned um the second the actor gets on property, there is a temperature check, and then we go immediately to wash our hands. Um, and we basically scrub up the way a doctor would for surgery. We go all the way up to the elbows. Um, we are uh, in our makeup trailer, which we call the body shop. We have limited it to um, we've got two makeup artists, and it's only one person per chair for the makeup artist at a time. Everybody else has to wait outside. Of course, masks are required. Of actors and all the staff um that we have we have this year we have three attractions that are open instead of our five because the the one uh, carnival it's just two close quarters and we could not um we couldn't justify having people that close together so that one is defunct for the season but it will be back stronger than ever next year um, and then we have our nightmare challenge, which also for COVID-19 related concerns, we are not doing this year, but again, it'll be back next year and people can puke their guts out fear factor style, uh, just to, for a chance to get their picture on the wall of fame. Um, it, it's been really odd. We are normally a full contact haunt. You know, we're not going to separate you from your group and drag you away, but I'm used to being right up in people's faces and playing with their hair and everything. And it's been, it, it's been a shift in thinking. And I've been, um, I've been a professional actor for 20 years uh, with the theater in my town um, and then haunting for eight um, with Frightmare Manor. And it's been a complete shift in the sense that I am having to treat it more like stage acting. Because on you know, in that, I'm 10 feet away from people and I'm getting the point across. So I've had to kind of translate that into my scares. And I'm, I'm watching people to make sure they're not messing with stuff in my scene. Because like she said earlier, that creates a touch point and that's got to be cleaned. 
Um, we've removed all of the fog from our attraction because this is a droplet carried virus and they don't really know how fog affects it. So better safe than sorry, I suppose. Um, as well as anything that people have to touch to move through. So we don't have any squeeze tunnels or hanging bodies or anything like that this year. Wow. Travis, how about you? What's the uh, Crawford School of Terror doing different this year? I mean, a lot of the stuff is mostly the same. Uh, we have the hand sanitation everywhere. All of our actors w do wear masks. And if they can't wear a mask due to you know health concerns or whatever, they are behind plexiglass all night. They do not come out. They stay behind there, so nothing's coming through. Um, we are down to one makeup artist. Everybody goes in one at a time as they leave everything's sanitized and uh, we switched over to a vir virtual queue line you come to the ticket booth purchase your ticket give us your phone number you go wait into your car as soon as it's your turn to come through we text you you come on in masks on the whole time we have we do have people that walk through also to enforce that make sure everyone has their masks on um Anything that anybody would touch, handrails, whatever, those are routinely wiped down, made sure they kept clean. Uh, also, nothing hanging, nothing anybody would have to push through. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean. Interesting. Now, this goes out to all of you. How, how have the actors, the other actors, not just you guys, reacted to having to do this have you had people who said well I, I if i can't get in someone's face i'm not working this year and they're not working or has it all been well you know of course we're we're company people we'll we'll do what the uh what the man tells us to do so to speak everybody at the crawford school is they're down for it. Um, they love what they do. They love coming every year. I mean, it's basically, it, I'm sure like it is at every haunt, it's a family. They don't want to let anyone down. They want to come and have fun. Uh, they've all adapted to it really well. And this, like I said before, this is only our second week. And uh, they seem to just picked it up instantly. Absolutely. Like, what we've seen, too, is our actors just being 100% down for whatever changes that need to be made and again like it's a family we're all a family you know we we know how important this is to all of us and we're willing to do what it takes to survive this year you know that is exactly the sentiment that we have at frightmare because and uh when we were first starting to think about okay well you know you know, how can we do this safely uh, this season? You know, it was put out there, you know, hey, you know, if you have, you know, concerns or underlying health issues, you know, you may want to sit this season out and we will see you next year. Um, but everybody that has came back, we are all gung ho for it. And I know that like you guys are probably the same way. I have a regular day job throughout the year. Um, this is my one chance to have a lot of stress relief. Um, in the six weeks that we're open, six to eight weeks that we are open, I never feel stress or anything like that because I get to unleash it on people that are paying me to do so. <laughs> um, and all of our actors have really like they've jumped in and they're like, all right, cool. Let's bring a little bit of normalcy where we can in this insane year. Absolutely. Um, 
you had mentioned something, Bree, earlier about um, being a theatrical person, and um, you are, are you the one who said that you are a full contact? Uh, yes, normally Frightmare is a full contact haunt. Um, my, I'm in a different spot this year just because of how we've uh, moved things around. But normally my character is, I'm a face character, so I speak to people and they recognize me. Um, it's actually a lot of fun for people to come through and recognize me and yell my character's name. Like, it makes me feel like a little bit of a celebrity. I'm like, oh, they remember me from last year. Um, and normally I'm up in people's faces. I play with their hair. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is sniff people because it makes them very uncomfortable and I enjoy making people uncomfortable. Um, but obviously I can't do that this year. Um, <laughs> a couple of people have come through in the last two weekends already and they recognize me and they want to hug, but I can't hug them. So I'm like, I'm going to save that for next year, pal. <laughs> Give the double hug then. So how have you had to change everything? This goes out to everybody, of course. How have you had to, or what are the techniques have you had to go through in order to go from being up in someone's face to scaring from six feet away? I know not, not every haunt can be behind plexiglass, but, um, you know, how are you able to do that when people are, you know, going through a somewhat narrow passage or passing by you? And that goes out to everybody. The way, um, the way that we have set up a lot of our scenes this year for the manor, especially, is, um, for lack of a better term, the actors kind of have a small barricade in front of them, and that helps the actor remember to keep their distance, and also the customer can't get super close to us. Um, I have furniture in my scene that I can climb on and it gives me the illusion of being closer to them because I'm up above them and it makes them uncomfortable. Um, but at the same time, we're getting our scares with gory scares, um, like stalking the people um, and lunging and uh, pool noodles are a very effective way to still swipe at ankles and not actually touch somebody. So <laughs> we've uh, we've had to kind of baby gate our actors in a little bit. And it's honestly, it's more for the customer standpoint, because then they're reminded, oh, wait, I can't get over there. The actors have adapted to it pretty good. Um, but the customers, they are just craving some sense of normal. Um, and we don't want them to get, you know, forget and get too close to the actors. Yeah, that is a thing. Um you really have to learn how to use your surroundings in your haunt. Like she was saying with the furniture, you know, maybe stay behind it. If you have a desk, you know, crawl underneath of it and just kind of scatter out from there. Um, in the narrow hallways and stuff like we just put drop panels in there with the plexiglass. So there's nobody actually in the hallway. Uh, one of the rooms we actually have a girl anchored about six to seven feet up off the ground hanging from the wall so she can't physically get anywhere within six feet of the customers uh, it's really a challenge when you're building you have to come up with these ways to keep people away and make sure that nobody's coming into contact even accidentally with anybody and you just really have to get to know your scene and know where you have to be and know what you have to do to make sure that nobody is coming in contact with anything. I'll agree with that. I mean, like 
we had to, God, we rebuilt a whole lot of our haunt uh, this year, both haunted houses. Um, and we do use props a whole lot to help our actors, you know, stay behind this thing. We actually have one room where we have an actor who has a huge amount of space and he's able to dart between like this pathing that we made there. And it keeps him far, you know, six feet away from everyone. And but he's still able to dart around and be jumpy and spooky. And oh, my God, where did you come from? And all this stuff. Um, we also have taught our actors to make their movements three times as big because they're six feet away, you know. So instead of something small like you would do up close, which happens every other year except for this year, um, you, you don't have to make that movement or that sound as big. But this year, you are six feet back. You are keeping your distance from people. You are doing all this stuff that is necessary this year. And you have to make your movements and your actions, you know, match that. Um, another thing that we're doing, you know, is we're giving our actors new props to play with. Um, we have a couple of things I'm not going to go too far into that allow them to put on a great show without ever coming anywhere near um, our guests. And I've seen these guys, these guys in action, um, you know, going through the haunts, I've recorded a lot of, you know, what's going on in there and, you know, for social media and stuff. And I, I'm just impressed constantly with our actors. Um, some of them have uh, like canes or sticks or something that help them really like with movement. They never touch anyone. They never go out towards anyone, but it does help them keep in mind what that six foot distance looks like. Um, and that's really important this year, especially this year. Absolutely. I do want to remind you, you are listening to the round table of terror here on the big scary show with our guests, Travis Lucemore, Bree Rosar, Erica Leones, Dina Ziemba and Savannah Tequila talking about actors, actor safety, and the ways that haunts are modifying their haunts for 2020, along with our usual co-host. We're going to take a very short break here to pay some bills, and we'll be right back. In 1897, Dr. Alexander Hammond arrived at an institution for the criminally insane, only to discover the unsolved murders of several guards. Where are we? Jerry Bain takes you into Black Moon Asylum, a twisted abyss of torment, madness, and the horrifying mystery of Patient 292. Time for your medication. Black Moon Asylum, a symphonic journey into darkness from instrumentalist Jerry Vane. Download Black Moon Asylum at jerryvane.com, iTunes, cdbaby.com, Amazon MP3, and your favorite download site. And we're back to the Roundtable of Terror. We are talking actor safety and what are the things that haunts are doing for the 2020 season in the midst of a global pandemic to keep not only the actors, but the public safe with our guests dina and savannah from field of terror in east windsor new jersey brie from frightmare manor in morristown tennessee travis from the crawford school of terror in connellsville pennsylvania erica from hell scream and the haunted minds in colorado springs colorado our usual hosts. and during the break jerry came up with a or brought up a very interesting point jerry what was that point well one thing that i have seen uh in the last couple weekends since uh the season started has been an uptick of um violence toward actors um there has been a couple haunts that have reported uh people calling 
and asking directly, can I hit your actors? Not because they're scared. Yeah, I'm not naming names. Not because they're scared. You know, if I get scared, you know, you know, is it okay to hit them? Well, that's it's there's right there next to the you know ticket booth, a big sign saying don't touch them. But people are actually calling the haunts and contact the haunts with email, social media, wanting to know if it's okay to hit the actors. Nothing else. And uh, in the case of one haunt, a lady went as far as calling about it and got so mad that she could not do that that she proceeded to call the haunt for an hour berating them and then threatening them and well so there's this thing called caller id which idiot you just you know gave yourself gave the the haunt ammo to you know press charges on on you for doing that um and in the case of another haunt um the uh someone hit an actor security came in pulled them out and they were told you're ejected from the hunt and these people got so incensed that they turned around and called the police on the hunt because they were thrown at being thrown out for causing disruption and hitting an actor so have you guys i mean and, and when i say you know that i've been seeing an uptick on this this is something that's been coming going on and I've seen a slow rise over the last couple of years. It's one thing to be a drunk idiot. Okay. We all deal with those um, at one point or another, but with the current climate between COVID and everything else involved, you know, the, the wonderful year of 2020, has anybody seen any issues at their haunts or have seen, uh, you know, where there's been, okay, you know what? We're having a little more of an issue here with people causing problems. Uh, let's start with, uh, Bree, let's we'll start with you first. Um, we haven't really, to my knowledge, nobody has called to ask if they can specifically hit an actor. Uh, however, we have a fantastic security team that roam the property. Uh, we have parking lot actors who are really good at identifying like quote unquote problem groups and they'll come through like at the tail end of the group and like the group knows they're being watched. So they're a little bit more mindful of what they're doing. You're always going to have like that one Jack wagon that comes through that just wants to cause problems. But we are, I I know me personally at Frightmare, I feel safe because I know that it's going to be taken care of. Um, the, the guys that own the place, our security team and our maintenance team, they're all fantastic. And, you know, they make sure that, that we are kept safe as well as the other patrons. Um, you know, and it, and it's fight or flight is totally a thing. And I'm sure that all of us have been in the industry long enough that we can recognize when it happens. Um, I know like I've been, I've been hit, I've had black eyes, I've had bloody noses, um, I've had bruises and scrapes and everything from, from customers. And it's honestly just because I've scared them so bad that they fear for their life and they lash out and then they immediately start begging for their life. And I know that it's not like a serious, like they meant me harm and they usually just take off, uh, running, um, or they drop to the floor and cry like little babies. Um, but we haven't, we've only been open for a couple of weekends and I know that the closer it gets to Halloween, um, the more activity we're going to see from drunk patrons. 
Uh, but I have no doubt that our team will swiftly nip that in the bud. <laughs> okay, what about you, Travis? Well, so far this year, we haven't really had any problems. But just as she was saying, we have security that roam the entire haunt. We have security that get into costume and walk around the haunt. Um, and then our actors know, COVID or not, unless you're like a line actor around a big group of people, you stay an arm's length away from people at all times. You know, and then we have radios all we have actors all throughout that have radios we can always spot a problem group we'll radio through and be like hey watch out for this group make sure nothing happens if anything happens get a hold of us and we'll have security or a roamer or someone follow them through make sure nothing happens now she was saying you do get the people that get scared and might you know tap accidentally tap or whatever the fight or flight and they'll apologize, and it, it's it's all right. But if they keep the problem going, that's when it's a problem, and we get them out of there. We safety is one of the number one priorities. You got to keep actors and customers safe at all times. And we do everything that we can to ensure that that happens. Okay, and Erica, what about you? Yeah, we. Oh gosh, so. It's definitely like a fight or flight thing that you can tell when somebody is in the fight or flight mode, which is I'm going, I'm so scared, I'm, I'm going to punch you. And when they're legitimately going after people, we personally have not had any threats against us. And, you know, that's because we have a pretty good community here in Colorado and they're really here for fun. But we have always like in the years past have trained our actors, you know, stay an arm's length away because if you get closer and if you get hit, it's your fault at that point. Um because you were you were in range um and that's just for fight or flight but as someone who has been hit uh, this was like years and years and years ago when i was acting but i've been hit purposely by people like um and when i was with a different haunt and a different you know everything but you know you can tell right away like when someone hits you whether or not it's accidental or if it's intentional and when people do things intentionally well you're going to get security called on you pretty quickly. You know, we have security roaming both our haunted houses. We have actors inside with walkies on them, managers inside with walkies on them who are keeping an eye on things. And, you know, when you do spot a problem group, which is pretty easy to do most of the time, um, you do have someone keep an eye on them. And half the time they kind of know they're being followed. So they kind of, you know, simmer down like, like Brie was saying, um, and they behave a bit more. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's how that goes. My, my mic did not want to unmute. <laughs> okay, and Savannah and uh, is it Dina? I'm bad with names, so forgive me. Hi. Uh, yeah, we're really happy. Um, I'm really grateful to have um, metal detectors. Here, feel the terror. So that's definitely minimized or at least been a deterrent for people to bring anything or want to incite anything on our property. We also have really great security. So while I'm sure like um, altercations have been common in the past, right now, so far, fingers crossed, knock on wood, it's been going pretty smoothly. Um, I think people have been pretty understanding and respectful of everyone's personal space during this time. So 
they don't want to get close to us anymore. You know what I mean? There's less threat of altercation, less probability because they know that they shouldn't be too close to us right now. So that's kind of what I've been hearing from a lot of actors as well as a lot of managers who are out in the field. Yeah, I actually just saw about a couple minutes ago before we came out of break, um, a haunt actress out uh, on the East Coast posted that she got hit in the back last night. And uh, now she's you know having problems with the back from it. So, I mean, like I said, this is just something, you know, you got everybody is doing a job, doing a job, you know, for fun. Some are getting paid, some are not, some are doing it because they just enjoy doing it. And for the patrons to feel that it's okay to, you know, well, you're going to get in my face, so I'm going to hit you. That's not the point behind it. You know, this the whole thing is to have fun. And especially now with uh, with covid and all this you know a lot of people are looking to get out and do this to get to get out of the damn house for a better way of putting it and have that release and you know remember what life was like before it all went to hell in a handbasket lately so you know i'm not trying to do a psa for safety here but you know it, it's just when I keep seeing people, you know, posting, oh, you know, last night we had problems with people coming through, you know, hitting actors for the hell of it and everything. It just, it kind of takes away from what it's all about. You know, it's like, this is not supposed to be, you know, something that actors should be afraid for their, their safety. And I mean, I'm, I've acted a, few, a couple of times. Uh, I'm a musician more than I am an actor. And it's a lot of fun, but there have been on a couple of occasions, um, you know, some confrontations. Um, The last time I acted back in 2017, my wife and I had to deal with somebody constantly getting in my wife's face. And, you know, I'm not going to name the haunt. I'm not going to name, you know, but this was another actor. I kept getting in my wife's face and would not give a reason why. So, you know, to everybody that's out there, you know, who's listening, you know, we all know this is supposed to be fun. But when you have to start really putting the actor safety in mind more than before, you know, it's it it's going to haunts are already having problems trying to stay open as it is. And the last thing I want to do is have see a haunt and go, you know what? We've had so many as you jackwads, as you guys put it come through um, ruining it for others that we're just going to close early. I don't want to see that, you know, and I mean, you guys get enough abuse as it is physically. The last thing you need to do, you know, physically being on your feet and running and yelling and screaming. The last thing you need is to have some idiot come up and punch you. And I'm off my soapbox. Thank you very much. Big scary show. Thank you. But, well, uh, I just want to see know, a couple uh, weeks ago. Um, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Badger. If you got a story still yes. with this, if not, no, I was just going to say that uh, that uh, you know, two weeks ago, two weekends ago, there were three shootings around the country at places, and and the one thing that people took away from the articles on the pa- in the paper were this happened at a haunted house. You know, shootings happen every night in cities all over the country, but when you say shooting at a haunted house. That puts a big black eye in the industry. Now, I think two of those shootings were caused by fights because people were cutting in line 
And I mean, you know, I know you want to get out there and I know you want to have a good time and I know you want to do things. And, you know, there are haunts that are not doing time ticketing or sitting in your car and waiting for your name to be called. So there are places where, you know, people are waiting and, and, and someone breaks in line and you've been waiting for 45 minutes. And it's like, Hey, you cut in line. Well, screw you buddy. And a fight breaks out. And then all of a sudden, bam, shooting at a haunted house. And of course that just screws up our industry again because of those bad apples. Now, you know, we're hoping that we don't have another one of those, but you have three of them, including one, you know, in North Carolina, I think one was in Detroit and the last one escapes me where it was, but, um, you know, that's just, that's just not needed in a year like this when we desperately need some good old fashioned haunted house entertainment, you know, Tone it down, people. Get your frustrations out another way. Well, I, I, I really doubt. has such a yeah. stigma anyway that we don't need their help. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, a, a lot of that is is just, you know, the audience and stuff doing it. Like, our listeners aren't aren't the problem and stuff with that. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely not the ones picking up fights in most cases. Even though I've, I've had, you know instances in the past of haunt where actually disgruntled actors have come in towards the end of the night wanting to pick a fight and that's that's interesting and didn't end very well for them uh police were involved but uh you know one neat thing that i sort of got from when each of you were talking about security and everything was a how involved the owners are with your haunts with security and the procedures and the whole process and the other part is you know almost like the pre-screening your your actors or uh, in the parking lot, you know, the people taking tickets are keeping a vigil and a constant watch. And, you know, you get groups which are being warned, you know, they, they're told they might be a problem and, you know, cause ejection out of the park if it's a case too. So the, the quick question I have for each of you is, does your team regularly meet with your owners, do they participate and come and listen to you guys like at the beginning of season or as meetings go through the season? At Crawford, our, our owners are there every single night from before we even open until an hour or two after just to make sure everything is going how it should be. Make sure nobody has any concerns or anything that needs to be taken care of. Uh, they walk around inside and outside all night long just making sure everything's running smoothly there's no problems nothing that needs addressed and if there is something they're on it immediately to get it taken care of they want to make sure everyone's safe they want to make sure everybody actors and customers are having fun awesome so more than just front of house uh brie what about you uh your owners you know participating meeting with your uh cast and crew uh throughout the season or before it and at the end um we actually do uh we have a meeting place where the actors kind of chill before we start for the evening called the hive and um we actually have a briefing about 15 minutes before we open for the evening every night uh with our boss um, he actually, he lives, he doesn't live in Morristown, but during the Halloween season, he lives on property, um, because he's able to do that. Uh, so he is there all the time. And then our head of maintenance and security actually is there all year round, even in the off season, um, doing daily upkeep for the property because it's actually rather large. 
Um, but yeah, we have a briefing 15 minutes before we open every night. And then we have a communication board at the end of the night where if something is wrong in our scene, we write it down for our, uh, our head of, our head of maintenance, um, and our boss. So. Awesome. Awesome. Erica, what about you guys? So yeah, our owners are very involved. We have three owners. One stays at Hellscream, one stays at Haunted Mines, and one goes between both. Um, during the night, they are on walkie-talkie the entire night. They're watching security cams. They have you know, contact with both people inside the house and with security. Um, before we ever start the night, we have meetings that go on every single night, some with managers, between the owners and managers, and then the owners also put on a meeting for all the actors again, about like half an hour before we go on. And that meeting lasts about 15 minutes. We go over everything that we need to go over, like remind people about things, new things that are popping up, everything that, you know, just everything that goes on. Um, and that includes like, hey, if you guys have a problem, you know, please be descriptive with who you're having, like what customer looks like and, and all that good stuff. Um, and that goes like, you know, cleaning, everything, everything. So our owners are really involved um, at both our locations. And honestly, it's like, you see these owners and you see how passionate they get about their business and about what they do. It's wonderful seeing them be hands-on and being, you know, such a big face for the company and with the haunted houses, it's, it's just an amazing thing to really see. Fantastic. Dean and Savannah, uh, what about you guys? Are you seeing, you know, that owner participation involvement, uh, you know, at key points and throughout the season also? Yeah, a hundred percent. The owners are really involved, uh, especially right before the season and especially given the circumstances in terms of getting everyone excited as well as preparing them for how things are going to be different. So usually there will be like uh, several uh, preseason meetings um, for artists as well as actors. And then there'll be a few sporadic um, during season meetings with between owners and actors and artists as well. And then before each Every each and every night, uh, managers meet with their actors to get them excited, prep them, let them know what's going on. And then at the end of every night, they also have like a debriefing. So that's really cool. Um, it allows a lot for like good communication. And I feel that when there's a lot of communication, like there's room for creativity and positivity because everyone's kind of on the same wavelength. Like we all understand that this isn't ideal. Like we're not haunting the way that we're used to. But as artists, you know, we try to, our best to get you excited. We, we hear the feedback from the owners, from the actors, from everyone. So that's why um, it's really great that we have good communication here. Yeah, this year we thought it was going to be a little challenging, especially in the makeup trailer, um, because these actors are used to coming in here and having these, like, crazy, elaborate, full-face makeups. Now we had to kind of condense these makeups, and we had complete free range on what we were doing. So having that feedback, we have a manager from one of the attractions that comes by and tells us this, this uh, actor's makeup was great. This actor's makeup was great. Keep it going. Like it's going great. Cause we, we just didn't know coming into the season, what makeup would be like. Uh, we were doing makeup on about 50 actors a night and now we're doing about 15 to 17 a night. So that number dropping has actually kind of helped us enhance those makeups. So all the feedback that we get nightly is super important to us um, to also help us up our game as well. Yeah, makeup and costuming has been a big challenge because you really have to make those masks blend in with what you're doing, whether that's or special ordering masks or 
painting the mask to go along with the makeup or the costume. You know, a lot of it is the what, the color of the mask. Does the color of the mask match the costume? Can you blend it in well with the makeup? Can you make it work? And it's just a real big challenge and figuring out what you have to do. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. And, and to our listeners, you know, I hope that you heard a common theme in there. And if at your haunt, you're feeling maybe you're not seeing your owners too much, mention it to your managers and stuff. You know, most of these owners, they're in it because they do love the industry and challenging years like this. Sometimes you get tied up in a lot of the front of house things. Believe me, I wasn't surprised hearing, you know, just some of the stupid calls that haunts will get and these ridiculous things that people will think is an expectation of a haunt. I've, you know, been out of front of house. I've heard some of these calls come in and having the owners deal with it and stuff. And it is stressful dealing with that constantly and getting those calls the next morning and, and the next day and complaints that about things that don't exist. And, you know, they, they, they get these and, you know, they, 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 get burned out on having to go to actors and feeling like they got to make these actors defend themselves when you get stupid calls the next day, you know, people describing stuff that couldn't possibly happen at the haunt and wanting money back and stuff. And they're not even describing the right haunt. So some of the owners, you know, might get stressed with that. So, if you think you're not seeing them enough this year, you know, voice it to your managers and stuff. And a lot of times you'll find even a, a visit sometime halfway through re-energizes the owners too. And boy, is it re-energizes staff too. If you have an owner, you might not have seen every night and suddenly they're, they're in the back there and they, they want to run the drop down window for uh, a group instead of you. It It's fun. Yeah. That does bring up an interesting segue. Um, to all our guests, what has been the public's reaction to all the safety procedures that you have had to put in place? I mean, obviously, you you guys aren't receiving calls about, well, can I be mean to the actors? But but are people, you know, calling you saying, you know, is, is it scary this year? Or when they go through it, are they like, well, it wasn't as good as it has been in previous years, but it was okay? Or are people, like, really excited and seeing the way that you've had to adapt Um, I know, like, for me personally, um, I have seen a lot of, because like, I, I mean, I'm, I was born and raised in, in my town. I don't live in Morristown. I live about 45 minutes away, but I was born and raised in, uh, in Greenville. So, um, I, obviously I know a lot of people. Frightmare is one of those things that like people make it a point to go to every year, um, in our area. And because we're one of, one of the, one of the few, um, that, can consistently deliver there's a few more that are awesome um and they're right up there with us but i know i've had i've had friends come through and of course they don't you know save my name or anything because they know how i am about stuff like that and like i'll see their posts on facebook either that night or the next day and like they're just at least for us our customers are so excited to have something to get out and do and something to take their mind off of the crap show that is 2020. Um, that I think that they are very impressed with the fact that we are there for them and that we're open for them and that we're still doing what we love to do. I'll agree with that. Like our actors, or not our actors, our our customers are excited. They're really excited about this year. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of. Right? Like, like it's almost like we have yeah. groupies. I love it. Yeah. It's it's amazing. It's 
it's so cool to see. Like we have people who are messaging us on social media, like, thank you so much for opening this year. Thank you so much for posting and telling us all about the safety precautions you've done. You know, thank you for putting our mind at ease. Thank you for doing this for 2020. You know, we've got a lot of thank yous. Um, and then we've also had a couple people who are like, well, why can't we take our masks off in the building because of stuff? I'm like, no, you, you can't do that. There's, we have our own rules this year and, you know, we're a business. We're going to treat it like a business. And if you can't adhere to the rules of the business, well, then unfortunately you, you can't come through. Um, you know, and, and that's a thing that comes up. Um, and, and, but for the most part, like our, our guests have said that both of our haunted houses are in some ways scarier than ever, despite having less actors, despite having, you know, um, gaps between scenes or, as some people would consider gaps between scenes, a lot of people say that builds anticipation um, and they actually really enjoy that because then when you do have an actor who is phenomenal and going all out and is bigger than life and is staying six feet away and is doing everything they're supposed to do, they're terrifying. <laughs> like I walk through, I can't tell you, I, I walk through like five plus times a night, each haunt um, kind of recording and seeing what they're doing. And they still scare me. <laughs> like I know the show, like the back of my hand and they still find ways to scare the living they just scare me so bad. It's great. And yeah, at Crawford, we've got reviews already saying how great it was, even with all the precautions in place. And I think, I, like I said before, with having to stay six feet away, you have to use your scene and your surroundings a lot more, which make the scares a lot more intricate and a lot more personal because it's not just a jump scare. They're not just jumping in your face and yelling. They're coming up with new lines and just everything that they can possibly do to get that scare. And they caught on instantly. So we've had, it's pushing their acting skills. Yeah. Yeah. They're coming up with everything that they can to get that scare, to get that energy going with staying six feet away now we've had people like i said before all a lot of the haunts around us aren't opening this year we've had people coming from two three hours away just to get scared just to be scared just to come and check us out and see what we're about and it's just it's amazing that these people want to drive that far just to come and see us because their local haunt isn't opening so we try to do everything we can to give them that experience make it worth their time make it worth their money and keep them safe at the same time dina savannah what have you heard (laughs) there we go sorry um everything's been going great customers have been really excited they they definitely miss the um the like the old definitely like in your face kind of haunt aspect but this new territory that we're getting to explore you know scaring socially distant scaring um is really interesting in how you can create fear from far away you know with like body language and like implication it's really cool very nice do you guys and this goes out to everybody again do you think that some of these new acting techniques and things that you're doing will be implemented as permanent parts of the haunt from this point forward, pandemic or not next year. I think so. I mean, there's a lot of actors this year that are actually enjoying the challenge of being farther away and they're enjoying, like we have a couple of people who have to work in a scene together 
um, and that's because they're family and they've been married for a while and they really enjoy having to work with each other in that scene. Um, and it's really interesting watching them create a whole storyline for each group that comes through while being so far away. Like they tag team so beautifully well. We have other actors who love the whole stalking thing. Like they, they, they didn't ever try stalking before. And all of a sudden this year, they're like, oh my God, this is an amazing tactic. Why didn't I never use this before? So I, I think it's going to end up changing how actors go about their scares in the future. And I think it's going to be in a very positive way. Yeah, and that goes along with what I was saying. It's pushing pushing their talents. It's They're forcing their brains to come up with new ways to get scares other than just jumping out and screaming at someone. And I think they're feeling that energy and seeing that it's working better and they're having more fun and they just want to keep going. Yeah, I've it's always... one of, um, like, I don't know if you guys have ever done improv or not, but in improv, the answer is always yes. You never say no. So our, our answer for everything this year is yes. Yes, we can socially distance scare you. Yes, you are still going to pee your pants from us being across the room. Um, and I, I feel a little bit like Bear Grylls this year, and I think all haunters uh, should feel this way. we got to improvise, adapt, overcome. Uh, I hope you don't have to drink your own urine. I, I, I'm I sorry. If, I got a life straw. It's fine. If it adds to the scare, you do it. If it adds to the scare, you do it. Give them a show. Give them a show. I'll just tell them it's lemonade. You know, what I've got to chuckle about is when she answered the question, she's, I don't know how much you guys know about improv. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's the whole job in, in, in a haunt, pretty much. <laughs> well, I was well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, like, in, in, the, in, like, the community theater world, like, I, I, I do, I do stand up and improv and stuff in the, in the theater world. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things that when I got the opportunity to work at a haunt, I was like, oh, this is exactly like what I normally do, just with more blood. I'm here for it. Uh, the reason I, 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 and please don't take offense, it was all tongue-in-cheek. Um, me and Badger and Jerry and, uh, well, Storm and Jerry to a degree, uh, we've done a little improv acting in our day, I think. My entire character oh, is improv. Oh, that's great. I love it. My entire... I, I think I'm the only actor of your group that was allowed to say boo. And well, that's because it was part of your character. Yeah, my character was kind of retarded, so... <laughs> <laughs> Not literally. Yeah. Grown, man Jim and I running, have... grown man running around in a straitjacket with two jars of jelly going, Spooky boo! <laughs> <laughs> oh my Jim gosh, that's I... great. Well, don't! We have uh, spent many, many years, many, many years training actors at haunts, and, and I know Jim has done it, but one of the largest things I do is teach how to improv with some cool things. And, you know, something I've always said, too, a good actor can scare from across the room. You don't have to get up in someone's face, and this year you just kind of can't. So I, I'm glad to hear that, you know, so many actors out there are modifying their acting techniques and they seem to be enjoying it. And it certainly keeps the uh, the random flight or fight swings 
from connecting if you're that far out too. So I could see actors yes. having a much better time this year. It's definitely given them more interaction with the customers that they previously didn't know that they could have past a scream in their face. Got got to love improv and, and just come up with your own ideas and stuff. I have scared actors using a rubber chicken and a fishing pole, <laughs> which led to the greatest phrase I've ever heard patrons say in a haunt, and that would be, "I guess we follow the chicken." Which which actually you know we've we've gotten so serious tonight and stuff, which which is always a good thing, a good topic. But uh, maybe a quick question for our guests tonight is what's What's the wildest, funniest, or or just most memorable thing you, as an actor, have heard a patron say? Uh, Dina and Savannah? I think my... Because I used to act um, for a really long time at Field of Terror, and my favorite line from anyone was, I just peed my pants. I think that that was probably the best sign or best indication of your doing the absolute best at what you need to do in order to make someone wet themselves out of fear. So <laughs> that's, that's definitely something that was one of my favorites. I think Jim and I, when we were uh, badger, you may have been there that night too. When we were working at uh, brimstone and we were leaving. And I think the three of us happened to scare a patron all at the same time <laughs> went from, from uh, no Jim, you weren't there. You were running the group, but me and Badger were in a similar working in a similar area, and we heard someone go. I think I just shit myself. And yes, God, that, and, that. yeah. So yeah, it's like I, I know. You know we yeah, I mean, I've had people just screaming that they're gonna poop all over themselves because of how scared they were. <laughs> and then last night, this happened last night. A girl actually had got scared and fell and came like eye level with another actor and she just looked the actor right in the face and said stop I fell <laughs> I've fallen and I'll turn it up <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> I know those I feelings every morning when I get out of bed memorable. <laughs> I think probably my, mo my most memorable um, this is one that I fall back on every year but my very first season at Frightmare, I was in um, the outdoor, like the woods portion, the backwoods, as we call it. And there was a log that had a large hole right next to it. And I decided I'm going to get in the hole because, you know, that's a normal thought process. Um, so I get in this hole and I'm in dark clothing and I've got all this weird stuff on me. And this and the group starts to come around the corner and they're coming down, uh, down the hill a little bit. And I get up and I start crawling on the ground toward them. And this lady just was frozen in fear. And she yells, sweet tea, baby Jesus, there's something coming out of the ground. And so for the past eight years, the sweet tea, baby Jesus has been like one of my things. Like something will happen and I'll go, well, sweet tea, baby Jesus. There's the name so, of my new band. Sweet tea, baby <laughs> Jesus, there's something coming out of the ground. <laughs> Um, we were working at uh, a similar thing at Brimstone, uh, myself and another actor, uh, Damien. We were in on the trail. Uh, the, the haunt had two had a uh, a, um, a tra haunted trail and a uh, corn maze. 
or tractor ride or whatever you want to call it. And um, his character is, you know, a minion of darkness. And I'm this crazy guy in a straight jacket walking in a circle, mumbling myself and smacking myself with the, uh, the straps, which after about four hours of that, it actually started to hurt a little bit. And this lady went through um, a uh, rather animated woman. May, there may have been some alcohol involved, but I started following her across this walk, across this bridge, walking very fast towards her. She took off and ran, and as I see her, you know, ahead of me turning the corner, you start. I noticed, and there's no, it could not be any trick of the lights that her pants, which were white by uh, kind of like a grayish white, were starting to turn dark. And I confirmed afterwards, and uh, I don't remember the girl's name, but she played a voodoo priestess. They went through her area, and I see her come hauling ass around the corner and yell my name. And I looked up, and she goes, she beat her pants! <laughs> it's like, yes! My first time acting, and I made somebody beat. <laughs> it's always a good feeling. Usually when I, play, when I do gigs, somebody's barfing in the corner. So... <laughs> It's always fun to tell stories like that. But looking at the clock, we do need to start winding this down. Um, this is the time of the show that we normally like to call the plugs, where you will get a chance to plug whatever haunt or whatever ventures you are working with and working for. So let's start with Dina and Savannah. If people want to know more information about Field of Terror in East Windsor, New Jersey, do you know of any websites or social medias where people can get that information? Yes, we are on Instagram, Field of Terror NJ. Um, we are on the web, of course, fieldofterror.com. Um, and we're on Facebook, too, Field of Terror. Um, come come see us. Come get spooky. Come enjoy our makeup. Come enjoy our fantastic actors. Everyone is so pumped and excited to have a season this year. We are also extremely grateful, and we are looking forward to giving you guys all a great scare. Excellent. How about uh, Travis? Where, where can people get more information about the Crawford School of Terror? Yeah, we're online, CrawfordSchoolofTerror.com, uh, Instagram and Facebook, just Crawford School of Terror. Everyone come on out, have some fun, get some nice scares, and stay safe while you're doing it. Fantastic. Erica, how about people wanting to get information at Hell Scream and Haunted Minds in Colorado Springs? Absolutely. So we're on uh, online, obviously, at hellscreamhaunt.com and hauntedminds.com. Um, we're also on Facebook at Hellscream Haunts and at Haunted Minds. We're also on Instagram at Hellscream Entertainment, and we're on YouTube at Hellscream Entertainment, where we do a little bit of a docu-series throughout the season. So you got to kind of get a little behind-the-scenes look of everything that's going on. Oh, very nice. Last but certainly not least, how about Bree? Where can we get more information about Frightmare Manor up in Morristown, Tennessee? Yes, we are on Facebook, uh, Frightmare Manor. We also are on the web, FrightmareManor.com. We are open through November 13th this year, uh, which is a Friday the 13th. Whoop, whoop. That is our holiday. Y'all know that. And um, we would love to see everybody come out and see what we have in store for you this year. We are Tennessee certified safe. I feel safer there than I do at Walmart. And I know that you guys will feel the same. <laughs> I normally do. Well, we couldn't do this without our usual hosts either. So I want to give a big shout out and a thank you to Storm. 
You know, now I'm distracted for the last time I've actually felt safe at, at a Walmart. I, I don't think I've had that funny feeling. <laughs> but it, I got to say, I'm, 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 I'm excited because I think we have a new battle cry for actors this haunt season. And that is to take a regional beverage and baby Jesus. So, you know, everyone out there, iced coffee, baby Jesus. This was a great roundtable of terror. Nice. I can just imagine the T-shirts. Let's do it. <laughs> the sweet T-shirts. Ooh, uh, you went there. The pops. <laughs> uh, you guys out in Ohio, it's you know, pop, baby Jesus. I'm from California, dude. We call it soda. <laughs> Meat hook, Jim. I'm back, just oh, in time. Nice. <laughs> um, Justin. Yeah, uh, I, I had to step away. But uh, I'm back, and let's just say uh, I would like to hear some of everybody's reports at the end of season. Ooh, yes, please send those to us. We'd love to hear those. The Honstrumentalist, Jerry Vane. Well, Jim brought, uh, Jim, Drew brought this up earlier. There is actually two projects in the work right now, Pendendium. And, and I haven't announced the name of this one because it's a working name. A very uh, Jerry the, Christmas? No, no, no. Uh, I'm actually on it. Mar- Shut the f up. Um, <laughs> uh, it's the the other project is called the Six Stringer and the Gunslinger. Uh, that's the working title right now. It's going to change. I know that because I'm not crazy, but I'm actually doing a country metal album with a local uh, co- local uh, country artist named Terry Douglas. So this will be. Uh, Jim and Jim and uh, Drew have heard two of the songs, right? So yeah. keep keep an eye out because it may turn into an Amish album. I don't know yet. What? Oh. See, what? see, here it is. Here it is. Storm. He's making the country metal album, which means he's moving south. That's like the most opposite of Amish you can get. I mean, I'm there for it. <laughs> oh hush. My name is Drew Badger in Charlotte, North Carolina, reminding folks, please get out there and support your local haunts. They look like they're doing everything they can to keep you and their actors safe. And again, thank you to Travis Bree, Erica Dina, and Savannah for coming on and encouraging you. If you are on the fence about going to a haunt this year, hopefully you're not now. Get out there and enjoy the Halloween season. Because we don't get another one until 2021. This is the Round Table of Terror here on The Big Scary Show. Now I'm going to want an Amish country album. This is I'm going to be YouTubing this. Amish country album? Get on up into my buggy, show some ankle, make my beard curl. <laughs> Damn it. That's actually the lyrics of one of the songs. <laughs> Looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as 
upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. reaches of the earth. This is a Haunt Minute. And now, with this week's commentary, Storm. Alright, so we've made it to October. We have socially distanced ourselves here, and some haunts are operating, going through the different challenges of it, and one of the trends that's going on in the marketplace right now is they're seeing an increase of candy sales. They think less people are going to give out the candy, but the sales of candy has increased, which is what all the candy and marketing people have been doing for years by putting the Halloween candy out there like at 4th of July. So you buy the bag, you eat the bag, you buy another bag, you eat that bag, and then you have to buy two bags for Halloween and you panic thinking you don't have enough candy because you've eaten so much candy and enjoyed it over the past few things. You buy the more expensive candy for the trick-or-treaters so you don't have the guilt. In addition to that, as haunters, this is the time of, you know, our weird haunter diets. And, you know, I want to combine the two here because, you know, yes, you, you live off of, you know, hot pockets and whatever you can scrounge on and whichever, you know, fast food places open still when you get done haunting, which is always uh, fun and, you know, is, is within itself. And usually it's not deadly unless you leave a hot pocket in the oven for six hours when you come home and fall asleep. That's happened. Uh, but it can be deadly. Um, especially with the candy, which, again, is a staple of the haunter diet during haunt season. Uh, take, for example, a man in Massachusetts uh, last month who died from eating black licorice. Now, you know, everybody dumps on black licorice and says, oh, it's terrible, it hates it. I mean, some of us like it. It's, you know, we enjoy a little black licorice. And we should enjoy a little bit of it. Eating too much of it apparently will kill you. There's some chemicals in there that... Per- uh, prevent potassium from working in your body, and this is what happened to this guy. Granted, he was eating like a package and a half of black licorice every day, and not much else, apparently. So, you know, one day he was in a fast food restaurant with some co-workers and keeled over because, well, he had no more potassium in his body. So, you know, you know you're going to have a terrible diet this month. Go with it, do what you can, and apparently mix in a banana here and there. You know, keep those potassium levels up. So until next time, keep every minute scary. Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. And in the meantime, share your opinions on the Big Scary Show Facebook page and on Twitter at Big Scary Store. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com. Sam Haynes, Sam Haynes.
Catacombs and Catacombs Catacombs on the Big Scary Show Scary Show Scary Show Scary Show Thousands of women will be violently assaulted. In some cases, the attackers won't be human. Something waits in the dark. From the icy blackness comes an inhuman horror seeking warm blood, soft flesh. Something waits in the dark. If it finds you, pray that all it does is kill you. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without penalty. Thank you. 
Once again, dear Frighteners, to yet another edition of the Weister's Haunted Vista. Here we are yet again in haunt season, a very unusual one indeed, but it is haunt season yet again. And with that in mind, we come to the conclusion of my long-term project, the final segment of the horror of it all, my top 25 films for recommended and required Halloween viewing. What just happened, man? I'm out of here. Oh, no, no. Please don't go. We have so much to share with you. Best to keep your mouth shut if you don't want bugs in your teeth. And with that in mind, before I begin, I wanted to thank all of our listeners here for going on this journey with me. I've been planning this one out for a long, long time, probably about two years, and really had a lot of trouble making some of the choices of the films. But regardless of that, I think this is pretty definitive for my own personal taste, and I sincerely hope that you found something interesting, entertaining, and possibly new trails to blaze while we're going through all this with me. And with that in mind... Here's film number 25. Nineteen forty one saw Universal Studios add to their cabal of classic monsters with the release of The Wolfman, one of the definitive werewolf movies of the period. Granted, it's not the first one Universal took a shot at. Oh good grief. You like that? Werewolves, silver bullets, shots. Uh yeah, okay, enough of the bad puns for a little while at least. Basically, nineteen thirty five's Werewolf of London. Henry Hull's makeup done by Jack Pierce was actually quite muted and not Pierce's original vision that ended up in The Wolfman on Lon Chaney Jr. Basically, Hull did not want his features distorted and wanted himself to pierce through the makeup, and Pierce and Hull had some huge disagreements and caused a lot of friction on the set. Regardless, Pierce got his wish on what he wanted for with Chaney and the film is all the better for it. Really, Werewolf of London isn't a bad flick, but it doesn't compare to this one. The Wolfman plays out like a Greek tragedy. Lon Chaney Jr. plays Lawrence Talbot, the estranged son of the Talbot estate run by Father Claude Rains. He returns home after his brother's death. A series of events strings together, including meeting Evelyn Anchors as Gwen and propositioning her for a date in some rather amusing interplay, which is very funny as Anchors and Chaney hated each other's guts in real life, a fateful meeting with a gypsy fortune teller played by Bela Lugosi and his mother played by Maria Ospenskaya leads to a fateful encounter with a wolf, or what Cheney thinks is a wolf, mauling Gwen's best friend, Cheney's character being heroic and paying for it dearly. This really laid the groundwork for all werewolf films to come in one shape or another. Granted, 
Cheney's werewolf and Lugosi's werewolf are two very different things, Cheney being upright, while Lugosi's was more of a traditional wolf, which surprisingly enough was played by a large German shepherd that Cheney himself adopted during the course of the movie. Regardless of that, this is where all the classic gothic trappings came from, including that infamous poem, even a man who is pure in heart, yada yada yada, I think you know the rest. The film was a roaring success for Universal, and Cheney ended up reprising the role four more times in the course of the next few years, including Abner and Costello meet Frankenstein. Werewolf films came and went as the decades went on, but this really is the benchmark by which all others are measured. Even another werewolf film, which is a little higher up on this list, is essentially a retelling of the Wolfman itself, but we'll get to that later. But this, ladies and gentlemen, is the benchmark, except no substitutes. And on to number 24. Long before the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical took the world by storm, there was this. The Phantom of the Opera, the 1925 classic Silent. Lon Chaney Sr., the man of a thousand faces without whom modern makeup techniques would not exist, is in one of his career-defining performances here. Like most silents, it's a bit on the choppy side, but that's besides the point. The set pieces and costumes are amazing in their detail, and notice the added splash of crimson when Cheney shows up as the Red Death in the Masquerade Ball sequence. Mary Philbin ranks as the bravest of the era's heroines when she pulls off the Phantom's masks and we get our first good look at Cheney's hideous visage. Redone many times on screen, most noteworthy with Claude Rains and Herbert Lom in the role, but this is the benchmark version, even by today's standards, except no substitutes. And on to number 23. Truth be told, and I've mentioned this more than once, I've never been a big one for the slasher flicks of the 1980s. But I kept my finger on the style's pulse, and additionally, a lot of my friends just loved these films, so I saw most of them anyway, whether I liked it or not. And then Freddy vs. Jason appeared in 2003, and just blew me away. Why? Simply put, it's a wild, over-the-top love letter to fans of the genre, and just about every cliché in all its heavy metal glory you could squeeze into one of these is here. Do people's veins really squirt like a garden hose when they're slit? And simply put, it's plain old fun. Terrific action, too. The confrontations between them are not to disappoint. Tearing into each other with such gusto, it's tough to say who'll come out on top. Bottom line, pure, silly, joyful entertainment. Nothing more, and a great conclusion to the original runs of both series. And on to number 22. This is where the cinematic legend of Count Dracula truly begins. Nosferatu, both the original Silent 1922 and the remake in 1979, are classics, even if the earlier version plagiarizes the novel Dracula quite directly. The 22 Silent version is regarded as the granddaddy of all vampire cinema, 
Max Shrek creeping across the screen like a huge rodent that he represents. The 79 version with Klaus Kinski is almost an art film, creating a lethargic feel, not unlike a lethal pestilence creeping through your neighborhood. Filled with impressionistic touches, lavish sets and symbolic imagery, and there's nothing suave or romantic about either vampire in either case, just slow, dreamy death with very sharp teeth. Number 21. is The Frighteners was probably the most pleasant cinematic surprise I had all that year. The film begins as a horror comedy, but quickly evolves into something much darker. Michael J. Fox's Frank Bannister, a con artist, quote-unquote psychic investigator with genuine abilities, is drawn into a murder rampage with historic and paranormal implications. The CGI is fantastic for the time, and D. Wallace Stone gives a magnificent frenzied performance in the movie's second half. On a side note, the Mutton Birds perform a terrific version of Blue Oyster Cult's Don't Fear the Reaper, you heard a little snippet of that just a moment ago, over the closing credits. Funny, creepy, frightening, and endearing, this film will leave you smiling. And on to number 20. In 1991's The Addams Family, while not necessarily Halloween-themed, although the film does end on that particular day, the film is just wickedly ghoulish fun, with inspired casting that captures Charles Addams' visions for his characters far more succinctly than anything that followed, though I have to give a big shout-out to the 2019 animated feature, a bit simple, but it definitely gets the vibe as well. Raul Julia is deadpan funny as Gomez, Angelica Houston is charmingly dry as Morticia, and meanwhile, Christopher Lloyd just chews up the scenery as Fester. Always good for a sly, slightly sinister giggle. Number 19. The 1932 version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde featuring Frederick Marsh in the title role didn't win him an Oscar for nothing. For my money, his is the definitive interpretation of it. And that's a long list of people who did it as well, including John Barrymore, Spencer Tracy, Boris Karloff, Jack Palance, and recently John Malkovich. With its restored footage, the film itself is relentless, tragic, and quite disturbing at times as well despite its age. March's transformation from Jekyll into Hyde was a long-held Hollywood secret until recently and is spellbinding to watch even now, basically done with lighting, colored makeup, and filtered lenses. A truly remarkable classic from Hollywood's golden age in the 1930s. And on to number 18. (laughs) 
1954's The Creature from the Black Lagoon turned out to be the last of the classic Universal monsters, and one of the few beast flicks of the 1950s that still holds water, pardon the pun. The plot is pretty standard stuff for the time period, but the creature doesn't become aggressive until his home is invaded by the heroes, quote-unquote, giving him a sympathetic edge. The suit is just a marvel to behold, even today, with both Ben Chapman, open land sequences, and Rico Browning underwater giving it an air of realism rarely seen during the era of rubber monsters. It was often imitated, but never duplicated. Think of films like It, The Terror from Beyond Space, The Monster of Piedras Blancas, and all sorts of creatures, even the alligator people that Universal themselves did. And let's face it, Julia Adams looked terrific in that bathing suit. It spawned two sequels, each of lesser merit, but this one still has an atmosphere all of its own. And surprisingly enough, despite all the attempts, it was never remade. The closest it comes to is Guillermo del Toro's 2017 film, The Shape of Water, which is an obvious nod to the creature. Should this one be remade? No, but that's another matter. On to number 17. Nineteen thirty-two saw the release of the next of the great Universal monsters, The Mummy. But what sets this movie so far ahead of its numerous sequels, aside from Boris Karloff's stellar performance as Imhotep, is the fact this is more of a dark love story than a monster romp. Imhotep is a sentient being, not someone's mindless instrument of revenge, on a mission to restore his beloved souls lost to the ages. Richly atmospheric and complex, owing more than a passing nod to the prior year's Dracula, this is not your atypical horror film, and it's meant for serious consideration of love and its obligations. After this, it degenerated into, as I said, the monster on the loose theme, though to be fair, in the 1950s and 60s, Hammer Productions did some very interesting turns with the mummy idea, and don't even get me started on that trilogy of mummy films that they keep running all the time on TBS that popped up in late 99, 2001, and so. Yes, these were done by Stephen Summers, who went on to do Van Helsing, which I happen to enjoy quite a bit. But these films, I swear, you took a wonderful concept that Universal had and basically lampooned it like crazy. It has its moments, especially the first two, but overall, brrr. Speaking of Hammer films, that brings us to number 16. Sir Christopher Lee stands as one of the definitive Draculas, eclipsed only by Bela Lugosi, and 1958's Horror of Dracula is largely responsible for that. His take on the Count is tall, dark, aristocratic, irresistible to women, not to mention a wild beast when angered. Fast-paced and tense, with a fantastic climax between Lee's Dracula and Peter Cushing's Van Helsing, this feature set the bar for vampire films that few have attained. For the record, Lee scared the crap out of me as a kid the first time he appeared with his fangs bared and all. Truly one of the masterpieces of the Hammer House of Horror, never eclipsed in terms of their Dracula series, although 1966 Dracula Prince of Darkness comes close, but it too falls short of this remarkable piece of horror cinema. 
and on to number 15. In the First World War and for the first time in the history of man, nations combined to fight against nations using the crude weapons of those days. The Second World War involved every continent on the globe and men turned to science for new devices of warfare, which reached an unparalleled peak in their capacity for destruction. And now, fought with the terrible weapons of super science, menacing all mankind and every creature on Earth, comes the War of the World. H.G. Wells' definitive alien invasion tale has been done and redone to death over the years. But the 1953 version of War of the Worlds is the keeper. Aside from Orson Welles' 1938 radio broadcast, no one, not even Steven Spielberg, quite got the paranoia or the alien manliness right like this. The Martian warship design, think of a manta ray with a cobra mounted on it, is an elegant and menacing thing all at once, and our brief glimpse of the invaders is suitably chilling. The sense of inevitable doom surrounding this movie is almost claustrophobic, as man throws weapon after weapon after weapon at the invaders, failing time and again until... Oh, watch it for yourself. As if you haven't already, dozens of times, just like I have. On to number 14. In 1982, John Carpenter released The Thing, the gross-out flick of my early teens. His retelling of this 1950s gem, based loosely on Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr., written under the pen name of Don A. Stewart, featured an alien that could perfectly imitate anything he came into contact with, and, when discovered, could morph into the most horrific creatures imaginable to defend itself. Set in Antarctica, this film gives claustrophobia and paranoia a makeover like few before it. Kurt Russell is absolutely brilliant as foul-mouthed attitude-heavy protagonist R.J. McReady, who adds just that right piece of irreverence to it all. By the way, the 2011 prequel was absolutely dismal. This film freaked me out. The effects done by Rob Bottina are amazing, even by today's standards. This is not something that's showed to little kids unless you want them to have therapy for the next 20 years. Plain and simple, adults only. And on to number 13. Boys and girls of every age, would you like to see something strange? with us and you will see this our town of Halloween. This is Halloween. 1993's Nightmare Before Christmas. What can be said about it that hasn't been said before? Well, I'm going to try. This film, one that many consider to be Tim Burton's masterwork, is so beloved and has been so analyzed, I'm not even going to try to take a fresh approach here. Suffice it to say, it bridges the gap between Halloween and Christmas very nicely, with an object lesson about being content with your own circumstances. And if you look closely, there's a subtle point made about the relationship between the two holidays. One of those films that took a life on of its own and just keeps gathering followers as it ages. Truly remarkable piece of work. And on to number 12.
who didn't read EC Comics growing up, even though some of us missed the boat? Stephen King and George Romero certainly did, and Creepshow, a short story anthology, is truly a labor of love. Coming at us at 1982 with five ghoulish vignettes, all wrapped around a backstory that a lot of us can relate to. What sets this film apart is the ensemble cast. E.G. Marshall, Ted Danson, Hal Holbrook, Adrian Barbeau, among many others, including Stephen King himself. Sadly, one of the last of its kind to make any kind of box office impact, a forgotten breed indeed. Incidentally, the opener, Father's Day, is one of the best back-from-the-grave-to-exact-revenge stories ever. I want my cake indeed. On to number 11. Nineteen sixty-seven's puppet animation film *Mad Monster Party* probably ranks as one of my all-time favorites. Cute animation, with a cast including both Phyllis Diller and Boris Karloff as Dr. Frankenstein himself, bringing all of the classic monsters to his island of evil in plans to announce his retirement and handing all of his secrets over to his nephew Felix, which doesn't bode well with the other monsters. Everyone here is represented. Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the Creature, the Mummy, the Invisible Man, etc., etc. The animation is dated, naturally. This was done in the late 60s, but this is also one of Franklin and Bass's masterpieces. Creepy fun, and this is fun to watch with your kids, too. For those interested in this sort of thing, a few years ago I did a piece on this here on The Big Scary Show, and I shared a lot of information that I discovered about the movie on that said segment. I did it in 2017 or 2018. I don't remember specifically when, but I had a lot of fun doing it, and there was a lot of information I managed to pass on. And just for the record, if any of you can find that segment and let me know where it's at, I wouldn't mind hearing it again myself. And on to number 10. I caught 1987's Near Dark purely by accident on HBO in late 1988. I had heard bits and pieces about the film, but I never really connected with it, and I was totally taken by surprise. Shot in the American panhandle, it tells the story of a clan of rowing bloodsuckers and a young man's journey after having a particularly intimate encounter with one of them. Gritty, dark, violent, and intense, with a standout performance by Bill Paxton as Severin. Check out his sadistically hilarious rampage and in a small bar he refers to as S...T... Kicker Heaven. The flick avoids the gothic claptrap, yet still stays true to the legends of the undead. And the word vampire is not uttered once during the entire film. Also take note of Lance Hendrick's performance as Jesse. Remarkable. It's finger-licking good. And on to number nine. At 
Ah, uh, yes, 1985's Fright Night. The Vampire Next Door theme was a cliché by the time this gem came around, but it breathed fresh life into it. Chris Sarandon's Jerry Dandridge was suave, smart, and menacing all at once, a very 80s bloodsucker, while Roddy McDowell's Peter Vincent's evolution from coward to hero would be unconvincing in the hands of a lesser actor. And what can you say about Stephen Jeffrey's evil Ed? Hilarious. So well done on so many levels, one of the defining horror flicks of the 1980s. Now granted, the 1988 sequel, Fright Night 2, pales in comparison despite stellar performances by Julie Carmen as Jerry Dandridge's vengeance-bound sister, but it's missing something and it got bogged down in so much post-production and legal wrangles that it was a spent firecracker by the time it made it to video that year. And I have to say, the 2011 remake, despite the horrible reviews and equally horrible box office returns, has a lot to recommend it. Colin Farrell does a really nasty turn on Jerry Dandridge, and there's some really neat twists and turns from the original film. Also, hang on to your hats for fresh off Doctor Who's David Tennant, giving a foul-mouthed interpretation of Peter Vincent, all cowardly and rude and vile and vulgar all at once. I wonder what the BBC thought of that. Anyway, on to number eight. John Landis is an American werewolf in London, a horror comedy released in 1981, will be forever remembered, if not for David Naughton tripsing naked through the London Zoo, at least for the most amazing on-screen transformation of man into wolf, courtesy of makeup and special effects maestro Rick Baker. The film won the Outstanding Achievement of Makeup in the category's inaugural year, no less. Still, special effects do not a great movie make, and this film has loads of dark humor, gore galore, sly references, and a slick script that never takes itself quite all that seriously. Griffin Dunn is hilarious as Jack Goodman, David's rapidly decaying undead friend, bearing warnings of horrors to come. Along with the howling, this film changed forever werewolf cinema and set the tone for special effects in the 1980s. But just for the record, I still prefer 1941's The Wolfman to this, but this film is significant. And by the way, first time I saw it when I was 13 in 1981, I had to leave the theater I got so scared. Don't tell anybody. And on to number seven. nineteen seventy five's Jaws, another film that set box office records, one of the very first Hollywood blockbusters as well, and it scared me so badly I wouldn't go into lakes or streams for years afterwards. Several things make this film timeless. One, the pacing. Initially a slow burn, then breakneck as the action flies past, and two, the chemistry between Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfus, and Robert Shaw. This film is a textbook on producing an effective action suspense thriller. Sure, the shark hasn't aged all that well. However, would you get in the water with that thing? 
The three sequels that follow it obviously got worse as they go along. I mean, Jaws of Revenge? Brr! But this film is quite timeless, and the talk of a remake just doesn't make any sense. You cannot redo this film. It's a product of its time, and it was a product of its production crew and its cast. And it's going to fail dismally, but hey, nobody listens to me, so never mind. And on to number six. As I mentioned earlier, I've never been a big one for the slasher flicks, but 1978's Holly One is not just any bloodfest. Not only the forerunner of the genre, but also John Carpenter's directorial debut. We all know the basic plot as Michael Myers breaks out of the sanitarium to pay his sister, Jamie Lee Curtis, in her first role ever, A Visit on the Night of Nights, with only Dr. Loomis, Donald Pleasance in a role originally offered to Peter Cushing and then Christopher Lee, whom both turned it down and regretted it ever since, standing in his way. Smart, well-scripted, and shot, the film stands head and shoulders above the countless imitators that rose in its wake. By the way, the term slasher here is a bit of a misnomer. Watch the film closely, and you'll not see one drop of blood throughout the movie also possesses the ultimate horror movie soundtrack bar none, and I like to use it to scare little kids around this time of year. But enough on that. On to number five. How do you do? Mr. Carl Lindley feels it would be a little unkind to present this picture without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to, uh, well, We've you. 1931's Frankenstein, 1935's Bride of Frankenstein, and 1939's Son of Frankenstein, all featuring Boris Karloff as the monster, and all three directed by James Whale, one of the cornerstones of Universal's horror legacy. These three films make mincemeat of anything that followed and are truly remarkable all in their own right. I'm not going to even try to describe each film individually, but suffice it to say, between Wales' direction and Carlos' brilliant portrayal of the monster, though by the third film he was actually very tired of the role, afraid his creature and best friend, as he called him, would end up becoming a mindless automaton, which, surprise, surprise, he was quite right. Subsequent actors like Lon Chaney Jr., Bela Lugosi, and although he retained some respect in the role, even Glenn Strange, portrayed the monster not as a thinking, sentient, childlike being, but more like a blissed-out zombie, but that's besides the point. Those three films are remarkable in as much as each are different, each take the characters on different journeys, and each are brilliantly photographed, directed, and acted. You can't really have one without the other, and that's why I'm putting all three in the number five spot. Watch the three as a trilogy, and you'll understand what I'm getting at. 
But enough on my rambling, let's get on to number four. Yes, 1968's Night of the Living Dead and its sequel, 1978's Dawn of the Dead. Part 1 and Part 2 and Inseparable. Needless to say, these two films are largely responsible for the modern zombies' popularity today. The Walking Dead wouldn't exist if not for George A. Romero's genius behind these. Literal volumes have been written about both films' significance, so I will just add this. Night is a study in intensity, with just about every social, cultural, and racial norm tossed out the window, with dire consequences, in the face of the uprising of the dead. Ever notice how Romero refers to them here not as zombies, but as ghouls? Dawn is more of a comic book satire romp of American consumerism, with quite a few pot shots at the culture of the time as well. Both films push the envelope in terms of gore, by the way, Dawn in particular, which almost single-handedly made Tom Savini legendary in special effects makeup. I saw Night for the first time uncut on a local UHF channel in 1982 on an early May Sunday afternoon. You bet somebody got an offer for that one. And I just jumped out of my skin. My perceptions on horror movies forever changed. And with that, on to number three. nine's Trick or Treat. What can I say about this that hasn't been said countless times already? Brilliantly written, paced, and executed, this one stands as the one of the definitive, along with Creepshow and 1972's Tale from the Crypt horror anthologies. It's a pity it never made it to theaters. The vignettes are delicately intertwined and layered one upon another, each carrying its own little twist on breaking the rules of Halloween. The film has been enormously influential on the Halloween community and home haunters alike. You have no idea how many Sam, the film's mascot props I've seen in the people's yards in the last few years. It's just unreal. Story-wise and cast-wise, this thing is pretty slick. You better be paying attention because there's all kinds of little subtle pointers at each other in terms of the storylines. And like I said, it's a smart film. Intelligent, but not for kids. This is an adult Halloween film. Again, another film that I would highly recommend you put the kids to bed first. But again, if they're twisted and demented like me, they might enjoy it even more, but never mind. And with that said, on to number two.
An all-time favorite with the wife and I, 1999 Sleepy Hollow, mixing equal parts American folklore, Tim Burton's dark, quirky visions, and a healthy dose of affection for Hammer Horror. Both Christopher Lee and Michael Goh, major players in Hammer's Cable, make appearances here. Taking the novella's original premise and inserting various twists and turns, Burton creates something quite different, with Johnny Depp's somewhat neurotic Ichabod Crane as a detective rather than a schoolteacher, investigating the murderous rampage of the Headless Horseman, and getting far more than he ever bargained for. The film's dreary, washed-out gray tones add to the gloom, and the horseman is beautifully realized, Christopher Walking giving a fantastically crazed performance. When he has a head on his shoulders, that is. Simply put, Sleepy Hollow is an ultimate Halloween film, and it's Tim Burton doing what he does best. And that just leaves number one, doesn't it, dear listener? <laughs> Ah, 1948's Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, the creme de la creme, the big one. I never let a Halloween season go by without watching it at least once. Dracula, the Wolfman, Frankenstein's monster, old dark castles, mad scientist laboratories, scheming females, and of course, Vincent Price's cameo as the invisible man in the film's final moments. This film just screams Halloween to me, the perfect trick-or-treat goodie to close out the festivities. It's been said many, many times before, but the film works so well as the monsters are played straight next to Bud and Lou's antics. It's also the funniest Abbott and Costello ever got. And it features an older Bella Lugosi firing on all cylinders, giving the performances of his life as Count Dracula. This film is so much fun on so many levels. Universal was saying goodbye to their monster franchises, and they do it with such style, grace, and humor, it never fails to entertain. The film is flawless as far as I am concerned. I'm very sentimental about this one. My father introduced me to this film, not to mention the entire Universal Monsters franchise, as a very young child, and I can still watch it with him and still laugh so hard together. Even when I was a teenager and we couldn't communicate about anything, we could always laugh about this movie. And therein lies the real magic of the Halloween season. And that's it, folks. For those of you who stuck with me from the beginning of this, thank you for your patience, your endurance, and I sincerely hope you found some things in there that made the journey all that worthwhile. Next time on The Vista, I'm going to leave this one a little bit ambiguous for you all, but for those of you who are writers and a bit of an imagination, I'm going to call it... Hmm, I don't, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to call it. Be here next time. This one is for the writers out there and the literary nuts. We're going to take some classic films, which had some ambiguous endings, not to mention some ambiguous fates to some other characters, and trailblaze a little bit. You'll all see what I mean next time on The Vista. For now, if you need to contact me, I'm not on Facebook anymore, at least for the time being, so write me at erweister at woh.rr.com. 
I answer all correspondence and also take a gander over at my Facebook page, The Vicer's Halloween Haunt Journal, full of news and reviews you can use and abuse. So until next time, everyone be safe out there. It's spooky season, but use some common sense. And always remember Svengulis credo and brush your fangs, comb your face, drink your milk before it clots, and always remember, instead of hiding the body, when the time comes, give out the full-size candy bars to the young ones. Dear Great Pumpkin, I'm looking forward to your arrival on Halloween night. So until next time, dear listeners, be safe, have fun, enjoy the season, and take care. We'll see you again in two weeks. Sam Haynes, Sam Haynes, Desmond Berry, Desmond Berry, Desmond Berry, Scary Show, Scary Show, Scary Show.
Ready to dress up your show? Need to pump new life into old props? Just want to show something no one else has? Do what Alice Cooper, Distortions Unlimited, and A-list haunters all over the world do. Wear Von Karen. Durable, handcrafted, dependable, year after year. Von Karen. When you scare enough to wear the very best. Von Karen.com. V-O-N. C-H-A-R-O-N dot com As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios Dark Imaginings Von Caron Productions Haunt Pay Ticket Leap and Creepy Collection we would also like to thank Virgil Franklin, master of the Ether Muse, as well as the Fordga hosts, including Storm, Rants and More, HauntMinute.com, The Unknown Scare Actor, Actor Trainer and Traveling Actor Troop. For more information, check out MaulMonsters.com, that's M-A-U-L Monsters.com. Drew Badger, Actor Trainer and Consultant. Find out more at rabidbadger.org. And Jerry Vane, the Haunstrumentalist, for all your heavy metal and haunt needs. JerryVane.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.